Imagine suddenly without warning being forced into quarantine so you don't contaminate your family. Imagine suddenly without warning, you no longer have access to your normal emotional comforts. Imagine suddenly without warning, you have to give it to yourself. Imagine suddenly without warning, you go from invincibility to sheer panic in one week. This is my story on how coronavirus saved my life. How Coronavirus Saved My Life, Episode 21, The Design. After I emerged from quarantine in April of 2020, I was a different person. My brain was different. My soul was different. And the things that spoke to my heart were different. I could no longer go back to the person I was before. The person I was before was constantly frustrated and happy without knowing why and living in a world of pressure and dissatisfaction. I began seeking deeper meaning to my unhappiness through spiritual teachings of Dr. Joe Dispenza, Aaron Dowdy, Bram Brown, and Eckhart Tolle. I started studying quantum physics. As I journeyed through my spiritual transformation, I came across human design. The more I read and learned about my own human design, the more I was fascinated. Human design has helped me understand my gifts and talents how to use my frustration as my superpower, and why I had a traumatic childhood. So today, I have brought my friend and human design coach, Marielle, to discuss exactly what is human design and how it can transform your life as well. Hi, Marielle. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. Yes. Thank you for coming. Um, It's so funny, like nothing's an accident because I feel like I didn't really find human design. I think human design found me. (laughs) Um, So I was, how I met her was I was starting an Instagram account for this podcast and, you know, there's some whole algorithm with Instagram of follow the people that's in your tribe. And so I started looking up human design and your Instagram kept popping up on mine. And so I was like, I didn't even know there were human design coaches, had no clue. So before we get into what exactly human design is, Marielle, can you give a background about yourself, like where you live, where you, you know, where you're born and what kind of career you had before human design? How did you find it and, and what you do now? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm a, uh, a native Californian. I've you know, basically lived in a 10, 20, 30 mile radius my entire life. So um, yeah, so I definitely haven't lived anywhere else. And California is what I know, even though I do travel a bit and see other places. I'm, you know, always been a California girl in a very, I would say, non-stereotypical way. Um, not a surfer, not, you know, a valley girl, like not into being in the top of the fashion and, you know, LA and uh, Orange County and things like that. But um, definitely embody, you know, what a real Californian lifestyle is being connected to pretty much every, um, every scape of the world, uh, you know, deserts, mountains, beach, um, all within, you know, a quick drive. So I've been super lucky that way. And of course, good weather that really honestly never quits. Um, before human design, I, you know, I always kind of changed, um, my kind of career, um, pretty often, 
I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology and um, decided that I didn't have hint, hint, the emotional boundaries I would need to become a therapist. So I decided to pivot and wanted to get, you know, um, in business. What I didn't really know what in business, but I graduated in 2007, right before the uh, economic recession. So I basically took whatever I could get. So I started, you know, I started in the plastics industry, medical plastics, working um, as an executive assistant, working in quality as a quality engineer. Um, And then I shifted to purchasing in the fiberglass industry and then purchasing in um, packaging as well. And then I shifted to working in apparel. And um, from a more inside sales type of capacity and um, also production, pre-production. And the apparel industry is a complex, difficult um, industry. You wouldn't think so. You would think apparel would be fun. Um, But manufacturing apparel has a lot of um, ins and outs to it that are much more business oriented. And apparel is very much a commodity. So we've over time, if you kind of look at how much we pay for clothes about 20, 30 years ago, we're actually paying a lot less for clothes than we did back in the day. And so with that clothes have costed, you know, three, four, five times is what they used to cost. So there's like a huge gap and it's a very difficult industry to make money in. So that puts a lot of pressure on the people there and in the creative, you know, the creative roles within apparel production. So it's one that is, is pretty toxic at times. And there's a lot of pressure and stress involved. And generally, it's a job that you can't leave home so easily because you're working, you know, 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours a week, nights and weekends. Um, And what ended up happening is that I, you know, had a job where I, the expectations were extremely high. We had very competitive programs, working very strict timelines and working with a lot of of different vendors and a lot of... um, the disorganization within the actual company. And I got really stressed out. Um, and that stress led to burnout and that burnout led to medical leave. And, um, it was in, it wasn't until I started this job that I got into human design, but human design got me into a place where I could really start to see that there was something more to life than working a nine to five corporate job that, work wasn't life that life was much more than that and purpose and impact and things like that did exist and I didn't have to be in a prison until my 60s and so from there when I got onto this medical leave I started really diving more into human design and I found human design on podcasts and I had an astrologist friends really suggest and say you're gonna love this you really need to dive into it and of course looking into it um first off uh, I was like, wow, I'm a generator. I'm pretty much the most common type. I don't really feel very unique. What is all of this about? <laughs> but then I started d- diving deeper and everybody's different. Everybody's, you know, all the, you know, generators and manifesting generator types are the most um, prevalent at about, you know, 75%, you know, 70, 75% of the population. But every, every chart is unique. All the gifts are unique. The channels, the gates, 
you know, every level of expression. I mean, with even in a gate, we'll, which we'll talk about a little bit more, but, you know, there's three, li- you know, six lines in each gate. So there's, there's even more deeper expression from there. There's so much complexity. And that was definitely, I think, what got me really interested. And also because it made a lot more sense to me than astrology in terms of how it could be utilized as a tool to get yourself into alignment, into purpose, into um, ways to express your gifts and your unique self and really play a role in our world at large. And when I was on medical leave, uh, I really, you know, was diving deeper into it. I had already gotten enough training to be a reader, but I was so stressed out of my job. I never really had the time to like utilize this information. So when I was on stress leave, it kind of became a reevaluation. And in that time I decided to also become a coach So those two things kind of didn't happen intertwined at the start. So I was training to become a coach. And as I was having um, my first clients come in, I always wanted to check. I was like, I would hear, you know, different aspects of their life, different, you know, things that they lean into. And I was like, I really want to see their chart. I really want to see what's going on here. So it started to become something that I would integrate into my coaching pretty early on. And over time, it became something that I really wanted to focus on is like a main tool to help people get in alignment, understand their energy, understand how they interact with people and give and take different kinds of energies, emotional energy, um, identity kind of energy and, and, you know, and, and help them realize what their gifts and what their purpose are. So they can really lean into that. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you quit your job and you become um, a landscape designer. It could mean that, you know, you're, participating in the community more maybe you take on different projects at work than you wouldn't take on normally so there's so many avenues of how human design can really impact the way you live your life uh everything you just said just uh, i'm speechless for once I, i i'm speechless everything you said is just so uh speaks to my heart my soul i love all of that And by the way, I don't think I've ever heard you talk so much because I'm usually the one doing the talking. So I love everything that you said. That is just, um, man, that is just so awesome. Human design, it really changed my life. Like all these things that I thought that I, you know, sucked at or wasn't happy with, it was just, those were actually my cues that I wasn't in my alignment. And is human design because when I try to explain it I, I just it's a bunch of words that sound I sound crazy so what exactly is human design yeah I'm gonna start with um the the I would say the easier way to understand it um and try to expand it into more of the complex and how everything fits in um and why it works the way it does But human design on much more of a basic level, because I think that's sometimes what people want to understand versus thinking about all the things that go into it and how the calculations are done and all that stuff. So I like to think of human design as just really energy dynamics. You know, what what creates energy within you? Are you gifted at having just, you know, endless energy and what what it means to be in alignment with that? Because having energy, you have to have something that sustains it and you know, if you're one that creates energy, the creation of energy just doesn't happen because you're awake. It happens because you're doing something that you actually care about and that gets you excited and creates more energy. Or if you have a more limited amount of energy, how do you lean into it so you don't burn out? How do you connect 
with other people in a more meaningful way and lean into what feels good about connecting with people. And it's really just, you know, it's guidelines. It's kind of a guideline. It's a blueprint. If you've heard, if anyone's heard that before, but how you kind of interact with the world and the world around you, you know, it connects you to gifts and then tells you why you're connected to those gifts, why you have this type of energy, why you, why you maybe are a more emotional person or you have um, an emotionality around you that is something that you can't pinpoint. It just happens. Or maybe you just feel the emotions of others so much more. You take in a lot of energy Mm -hmm. from other people and how you understand where that is coming from and also how to create healthy boundaries. It's a really great tool about, you know, creating boundaries and when it comes to purpose, there's so much indicating indications of purpose and it really just helps you understand not just what your purpose might be, but really about how you interact with that purpose, interact with the world around you. So it gives you so many tools to really understand how you operate and how you operate in alignment and in balance and, and constantly excited about life or fascinated by life or surprised by life, depending on which aspects there are in your chart. So in the more complex way, so fun (laughs) um it's a combination of a lot of more um ancient spiritual kind of tools and practices it incorporates astrology um either more western astrology or vedic astrology depending on how you want to get really complex with it but generally use western astrology and it takes those calculations that we we see when we look at our birth chart you know the sun placement our moon placement you know, Mercury, Venus, all of these planetary placements, also the lunar nodes, the north node, south node, and also takes in a couple of, you know, or at least one other calculation that's not in astrology, but your earth placement. And it takes these calculations and and it connects it with other of these modalities out there. So it connects it with the I Ching. The I Ching is comprised of 64 hexagrams, but in human design, we call them gates. And then also with the tree of life of Kabbalah and the, that tree of life has these connections and these are correlated into channels. And then also it also incorporates the chakra system, but it's a slightly more complex chakra system, not the seven center chakra system. Most people are, are aware of, but the a nine center chakra system. And it takes all this information and it builds this thing called a body graph. So you can see on the body graph, you have these nine centers that kind of have a humanoid look to them. And each of these centers, there is these numbers. And those numbers correlate to the the gates again, and that's the I Ching. And those I Ching gates also kind of flow onto this mandala wheel is what we call it. But with about within each of the 12 zodiac signs is about five and a quarter gates. So it directly correlates to, again, the astrology system by correlating which gates are contained within each sign. So Aries would have, you know, five plus gates that are associated with it. And there might be a gate that's part Aries and part Taurus. And it takes that then and you have these gates are then activated instead of the zodiac signs. And where those gates are located on the centers and the body graph, those get lit up or activated if you have a planet in that area and so you have 13 calculations on your birth date side and then it also takes into account another time point which is three about three months beforehand and another 13 dates 
that's loosely correlated in some regard what we like to say is like when the soul enters their body and that becomes what is like defined as your body side your unconscious side and then your birth side is much more your conscious side your more mind side your more personality and within that you have all of these gates plotted within your body graph and those gates get to form connections through channels so each channel has two gates associated with it. And if those two gates are activated, you have an activated channel. And then further than that, if that, the, that channel is activated, the centers that connect within those gates are also what we call defined. And so within that, all of this kind of activation and definition leads us to um, the energy types, which is what we were talking about a little bit with being a generator and these energy types all kind of have a way that they exist because of these, these centers that are defined. Whether you have access to, you know, much more sustainable life force energy, if you're a generator, a manifesting generator. If you have a motor center connected to the throat, which is the center, you know, the center of manifestation. And whether you have a sacral and that's that motor connected to the throat, which would mean you're a manifesting generator. Or if you don't, you'd be a manifester. And any other definition type within that becomes projectors. And then you have the unicorns of human design called reflectors who have no centers defined. None of their activated gates form channels. And they operate pretty differently as well. So outside from that, how did this come into existence? Well, it came into existence because this um, guy that used to go by Alan, now he remained him or during his lifetime renamed himself to Ra Uruhu after he had this major seven to nine day download about how all of this interacts and, mm. and how, you know, how to explain it to people and all these visuals and all these components coming together. And it was during um, a period of time where there was a lot of activity um, that created a huge neutrino flow now connecting this to quantum physics mm-hmm. from planetary bodies and, you know, cause this, this alignment with what he called the voice. And even if you kind of think this is a little too woo woo and a little too out there, there is a definite grounding in quantum physics because the activations happen because you have a planet that is in a part of the sky where it's being hit with neutrinos all, you know, stars every single star is you know producing these little particles called neutrinos that then hit a planet in a certain area of the sky and then when you're born it takes in that kind of imprinting off those neutrinos having connected with that planet in that section of the sky so that is the the short and long of it (laughs) awesome so let's let's talk about the start kind of the basics this because this is kind of where I started my journey was um looking at the different energy types there's five energy types correct yes correct okay and so there's manifestor generators generators projectors manifestors and reflectors that's yep you got it okay so let's start with let's actually start with the generators that's what you are what is a generator so a generator, if you're looking actually at the body graph, a generator has a defined sacral center. It's the square that's not the bottom square, but the one right above the bottom square on your body graph. And if that is activated, it's usually activated or defined in a color red. 
that means that you're at least a generator type, either a generator or a manifesting generator. And it means that you have access to this sustainable life force energy. But usually that comes with a kind of side note that if you feel burnt out as a generator or manifesting generator, it's because you're not living in alignment and you're not living, you're not doing the things that you love in life. You're not doing the things that excite you. You're doing the things that you feel you should be doing. And that's where conditioning is a huge focus when it comes to human design and, and the experiment that comes with human design is where conditioning comes in. But it's when you lean into things that you shouldn't be doing that you feel you should. And it's really a no. And the sacral center understands no's. It responds to yeses and no's. It responds to or responds as a yes or a no, if I if I speak incorrectly, in response to things that are around you. So it's very much a reactive kind of engine within your body that it's like, oh, I like this. Oh, I don't like that. And when you're doing the things that you love, you have this access to tons of energy throughout the day that you can get what you really want to get done done. As long as you're saying yes to the yes things and you're saying no to the no things. So when you're saying no to the no things or when you're saying yes to actually a no thing, what happens is you start depleting that energy. When your body's pulling away from something and you don't feel good about it and you don't want to do it, then you're sending, you know, you're taking away energy that could be utilized elsewhere and you're draining yourself. So it's not just that you're just this big energy being full of energy. It's that you have to really have a connection to what you're doing. And it has to be one of genuine excitement and genuine wanting and desire. And one that actually brings you more energy. So sometimes what I like to say is like, if you feel energized by something if something you know you feel connected in that way and you want this thing you're and you do it then you're responding in the correct way if you don't have a response to it even if it's just a maybe then utilizing your energy stores will end up depleting you as well so it's all about focusing on how you are reacting to the world and that's really leads into their strategy is of the response. So if you feel like you're bored and disconnected, a lot of the times it means move your body and get in front of things. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's so funny because generators, they, yeah, they have, they need to say no to things that, you know, aren't for them, that they don't have that sacral response. What's funny is one of my best friends is a generator. And since he was a little boy, his mother has called him Mr. No, because he says no all the time to things that don't light him up, you know? That's beautiful because it's like that, you know, he had such a better connection to that than a lot of us did because when we lose that ability to say no to the things that we don't want to do, we lose that ability to really create balance. And then that's where you get generator burnout and where you get people thinking like, no, I don't have access to this energy. I don't know what you're saying. And then they're, they don't understand how to embody it because they've been saying yes to no things their entire life because they're like, well, it doesn't matter if you want to do this. It doesn't matter if you're excited about it. You just have to do it. You should do it. And yeah. definitely that's where connect, uh, where conditioning comes in. Yes. And I make it a point, my generator friends, if they tell me no, I say, good job. Like, yes, tell me no. Whenever you're ready and you got it, you're right. We're ready. Let's, let's do it. So, um, okay. And then manifestors. I only have one friend that's a manifestor. So funny. So t- let's talk about manifestors. So manifestors, um, like we said, is like they have an activated or sorry, a defined throat center. 
And that's the last square towards the top under the two triangles. And when that's defined, that's your, you know, we call it a manifestation center because it is the, I guess, the cornerstone center for being a manifester. But it's really the center of, of expression and communication. And that's lit, when that's defined it, and it's connected somehow, not necessarily directly, but somehow to a motor center that isn't the sacral center, which could be the emotional solar plexus, the heart ego center, and um, the root center. So the root center would be directly through that, but it would have to go through the solar, uh, they would have to go through the spleen to get to the throat. But what that means is that you are one that is capable of having these internal urges where you're not necessarily responding to things like a generator does, but you have this kind of internal kind of call to actions, internal urge that you want to bring to life. And that's taking that power, that energy from that motor center and connecting it directly to a place where you express it. So they're all about initiation and bringing that urge to life. But when it comes to energy, they don't have that sacral center to kind of propel them into consistent energy. They'll have it in bursts. And then when that burst is complete, a lot of the times we say that they need rest. And the rest is a huge thing to dismantle. We can talk about that in a little bit. But they'll have their energy comes in ebbs and flows. And it's about honoring those ebbs and flows and knowing what to do with them. When you have that urge, you're meant to do something with that in the moment based on your strategy and authority, or I guess authority in this case. And what you do with it is, is at least start by in just letting people know that this is something that you, that you want to express. You don't necessarily have to act on it, but you want to make sure that that voice gets out. And if you do want to act on it, you let people know what you're doing. A big thing about manifestors in the modern world is that manifestors, their signature is which is like their kind of you know cornerstone emotion that says they're in alignment is peace what happens is when you go off and do things on your own and you don't tell people about it people get confused and wonder what's going on and then they'll reach out and ask you questions manifestors don't really like to be questioned uh-huh. <laughs> they don't like people to tell them what to do mm-hmm. so the best thing for them to do is let people know what they're doing ahead of time and then the going and doing it and then shutting basically they're meant to kind of shut down all of the criticisms or the whys or why are you doing this like does this make sense just to follow that internal urge through whether it is to start something you know even bigger maybe it's an idea to start a community or you know, we're on a podcast, start a podcast and go ahead and let people know I'm starting a podcast. This is what it's about. And if someone's like, well, why would you even do that? That seems stupid. Just to ignore them. You're kind of meant to blast through those naysayers. They're not the people for you. And when you kind of blast through them, it allows there's space for others to follow you. Be like, oh, those ones that say, oh, that's a, you know, an awesome idea. I am totally on board. Let me know if you, you know, let me know if you need help with that. I'd love to connect on it. Um, and because manifestors aren't meant to do all the work themselves, they're really meant to be the ones that are initiating that idea and expressing it. And because they don't have that same like sustainable building energy that, that generators and manifesting generators do. Yes. My, I would, (laughs) everything you just said is definitely my manifestor friend for sure. A thousand, a thousand percent. Um, and then we have the hybrid, which is me, uh, a manifestor generator. What, what's that? 
So we like to think of manifesting generators. They're still a generator type. So your strategy is the same as generators. It's in response. But you have a motor connected to your throat as well. And it could be an indirect, like I said. You could have it connected indirectly to the sacral or connected indirectly through the root, but also how the sacral defined, depending on how your circuitry is or how you your channels connect to different centers. But manifesting generators are different to generators in that generators are much more about sustainable, kind of a sustainable course. Their reactions to things, their response to things doesn't change very often. It or it doesn't change very fast. Manifesting generators are this, you know, the super type in the sense that they move very quickly from one thing to the next. Their response changes because they have this quickness around being also having this manifesting energy. So the difference really is that they're super fast. They have to always be in tune with what they really want to do and what energizes them. And as soon as that response changes to something to be able to move on without apology to yourself, you may, a lot of manifesting generators are called flaky because they change their mind a lot. (laughs) And it's not the case. It's that your response changes, your energy changes. You need to flow better with that energy. Yes, yes. A thousand, a thousand percent. I uh, was on this call with someone about business stuff and she was telling me like, do this and that. And I, you know, was like, this is, this is not speaking to me right now. Um, I need to process it. There's, I, I'm not in the flow. And then once I got in the flow, like, you know, 24 hours later, I'm like, yes, you, you know, it's like, I, I will say that I love that about myself that now, like I am able to just because someone's putting, actually, if someone's putting pressure on me or if I feel that way, maybe I'm this, you know, you know, it's not really what's going on, but if I'm perceiving something as pressure, that's definitely a no. And that is my cue to stop. Like that's not the time to start being creative. The one, the best thing that I pulled out of, knowing that I'm a manifestor generator is multitasking. We are multitaskers. We are, we are multi-passionate. We start a lot of stuff. <laughs> we got, you should see my house. There's like just projects everywhere, but we start a lot of stuff and that's where our creativity is. And I used to, man, I went on this whole thing for like two years where I was like multitasking, you know, that's low IQ. That's terrible. You should, you should complete things. And I could never, it just would, and it was just could. And so finally, when I was reading about that, I said, oh my God. And it wasn't, and what I figured out was it wasn't the multitasking part that was getting on my nerves. It was the interruption of my flow. Yeah. And I think with like, what we think of as traditional multitasking is that there's this impression that if you're multitasking, that you're going to get everything done, completed, correct, and perfect. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work that way with manifesting generators. It means you can just move very quickly from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and come back. Yes. But it doesn't mean that you didn't miss steps or didn't complete something 100%. And But that's part of your gift. You're meant to be quick. You're meant to be extremely multi-hyphenate, multi-passionate. You're meant to do these kinds of things in a very non-linear path mm-hmm. and just have faith that things get done the way they need to get done. And sometimes if you're in a business and you know this about yourself, you need to connect with someone who is really good at pick, you know, picking up those little pieces or noticing them or able to build more sustainably if you're working with a generator. Yes, yes, I yes. I'm, and do you know how many times I've had to go back and <laughs> once I've completed something and I'm like, oh, 
it's, you know, I'm a misstep. So I need to go back and, you know, get it to where, you know, fix the step. Um, okay. And so then let's talk about projectors, which I have a lot of projector friends. It's funny. My daughter is a projector. A lot of friends of mine are projectors. What are projectors? So projectors are, are the energy type that has definition. They have centers that are defined, but they don't have the sacral center defined and they don't have a motor connected to their throat by definition. So they could have a throat defined, they could have a motor defined, but it's not the sacral and that motor is not somehow connected to that throat. What that means is that they're not, they don't have the same energy, sustainable energy levels as generators and manifesting generators. And they're also not supposed to react from this like internal urge place of potentially it being something inspiring that comes within the body. Um, but they are the, the ones that are there to guide and tweak. They have an aura that is what we call penetrating. They can really penetrate into, um, into another's aura and really see things and be able to guide. So they're, they're there to really understand processes. They understand how people operate and how to tweak and get people in alignment. They're absolutely important. And they weren't, they were part of an evolution that we had, um, you know, millennia ago. And, um, okay. Well, maybe centuries ago, sorry, that was a little too much, but, um, centuries ago where we really needed, um, what we would call like our new age CEOs, the ones who are there to really see those kind of patterns, see where they need corrections, see where, you know, things can be done better and more effectively and more efficiently. And that's why they kind of have that penetrating word because they can really, you know, dig in deeper, but they don't have this level of sustainable energy. It doesn't mean that they don't have energy, but they have to be more cognizant of where their energy goes. And, there's this whole idea of rest. And I don't like to think of rest as like you are literally going down and taking a nap mm-hmm. rest in, especially in a projector sense, rest is really about doing something that fascinates them. Sometimes it doesn't have to be that they're like literally laying down or they're kind of disconnected. I mean, a lot of quote unquote work that projectors can do aren't taxing them on an energy level, because if they're connected in a way that's fascinating and inspiring to them, they can continually work on some of projects like that where their energy does get depleted is a lot of the times when they're doing things that aren't fascinating when they're, you know, heavily interacting and consuming energy with people. I feel like it's much more of a collaborative energy where they are using that very judiciously around how they're connecting with others and using up that energy and understanding their own limitations because some people, some projectors might have a lot more energy than other projectors, depending on their chart, depending on, you know, the kinds of things that fascinate them. There are, you know, there are plenty of athletes and professionals that are projectors and they have a ton of energy for what they really truly enjoy. And so when it comes to rest, rest, maybe reading a book, rest, maybe taking a walk, rest could be a lot of different things. So dismantling the conditioning around rest is huge for projectors, especially ones who are like, I have a ton of energy and might be like, well, you might be really in alignment and which is fantastic. And so it's just them understanding what does drain their energy bucket and how they can put in place boundaries around their energy, whether it is they only, you know, do certain kind of work two to four hours a day, or they only do it three days out of the week and figure out what kind of balance works for them. Yes. When I um, found out my, so much about that, 
it's crazy. Her grades have just gone up so well. This, I mean, they're, I, she's got mostly A's, 1B. And because when she would come home from school, she, you know, she's around a lot of energy all day long. So, she, I mean, like most kids, if she comes home and she's, we would start doing homework and it was just um, a fight. Um, Cause you know, I'm a manifesto generator. I got to get it done. You know, I want to get it over with. I got to move on to something else. You know what I mean? So, um, so now it's just, everything has changed so much now that, I mean, I, when she walks in the door, I'm like, how's your energy, you know, and she'll tell me, and usually it's pretty drained, you know, and, you know, we'll eat and then she'll go rest, whatever she wants to do. And then we'll, you know, get back together and do our, do the homework. And also too, like when we're studying for tests or, you know, we make it short, like we're, we don't do this long two hour thing like we used to do, you know, and so I love reading about that um, has helped this household so much we all need our space. But, you know, I really try to give her space and not take it personal <laughs> that she doesn't want to sleep in bed with mom, you know what I mean? Because I'm a lot. <laughs> so okay, so we talked about generators, manifestors, manifesting generators and projectors. And then the last energy type, reflectors. What is that? So like I mentioned before, reflectors are like the, the kind of the unicorn. They're 1% of the population and they don't have any centers defined. They do have gate activations, but the energy really in a, in a body graph or in a person is generally dictated by like, this center being defined and that's energy you kind of put out there versus where it's undefined or open, you're taking in energy. So they're fully open. They're well, not fully open. They're fully undefined because they still have gates. It doesn't mean that they don't have any activations or planetary, you know, involvement. Um, but they do, they do have these gate activations, but none of them connect in, in to form channels. Mm. And they're like I said, they're unicorn because they're so unique in the sense that it's 1% of the population because generally gates do connect in channels. That's the, the vast majority of people. So reflectors are actually pretty different outside of just being this unicorn type. They don't take in conditioning the same way that other people do. Their aura is kind of a sampling but protective aura to where it's like they can kind of sample the energy of other people, but they don't have the same impact of being conditioned by other people quite as much. Where someone, uh, for example, might have a undefined solar plexus, but be a generator and definitely take in a lot of emotion and conditioning from other people from that, that undefined center, where a reflector doesn't take it in in quite the same way but the way that they are more conditioned or they are more you know prone to feel is that of the is that of the moon and also the daily transit so wherever the planets are currently sitting they'll feel that much more strongly and so this kind of leads into what their strategy you know what their strategy is which is kind of waiting a full 28 days because that's the full moon cycle so this plays into their decision making and plays into kind of their, you know, how they feel from day to day is often affected by whatever gate the moon is in. So they're different in that way. And it's really interesting because it's hard to, you know, some on some levels hard to relate to the other types because other types are dealing with kind of a different preset of, of complications in their life, dare you say, or influences in their mm -hmm. life. And so they have to, you know, they have to understand that they're, you know, they're, they act as mirrors 
a lot of the time. So they are really reflecting back what other people see. And I think that has a lot to do with that aura that's not taking in other people and more kind of reflecting it back. And they're really dominated um, by this signature of surprise. So they're meant to be surprised by the world. They're meant to be kind of open. Their energy is one that they have to kind of figure out, you know, also on their own. Whether, you know, what kind of energizes them and what kind of brings them to life and what they have the capacity to do. And they're ruled by this surprise. They're allowed, they're, they're, they're meant to follow what surprises them in life. Um, but it, again, it is rare, but they do have all of these other aspects. They have these gates that are activated and those are still gifts that they have in them and things that they can count on. So um, they just operate a little bit differently. Yeah, that's, that is really, I, so that is, I'm fascinated. I'm gonna have to go read all about reflectors. I also, um, there's somebody, some human design person I follow on Twitter and she was saying that um, animals are reflectors and like dogs like are reflectors. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And, and, and now it makes sense when you were talking about, you know, what is a planet doing or something? Because there was, it was a few weeks ago, I don't, there was one planet doing something and she was like, your animals are probably going to be extra close to you this week. And they were, it was so weird. Um, but yeah, that's very, have you ever met a reflector? Um, I've actually come across uh, several of them. Um, one of like the programs that I'm in uh, to start a podcast as well is run by a reflector. Oh. And, yeah. And also one of, I went on a human design retreat and we had one reflector among us and I hope she didn't feel too much of the unicorn. Everybody wanted to know what it's like to be a reflector. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I wouldn't say like, I get like a, Oh my God, this person is so different than I yeah. am. Uh, yeah. Vibe. It's yeah. not, yeah, it's not really like that. I mean, they're absolutely just as animated and wonderful and full of life as everybody else. Um, but it, it's one of those things that, like, you also should be cognizant if you know someone's a reflector. Because look, what you're getting out of them a lot of the times is somewhat of a reflection of yourself, since it's the mirror back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not, you know, just like with the other types, when you're a manifesting generator, you know not to put the same expectations on your projector daughter as you would yourself. And I think it's the same with mm-hmm. reflectors. And also not treat them like they're these these special unicorns, too, because that puts a lot of extra pressure on them to be different, um, yeah. even though they are. But the difference is not so much them being something, you know, alien-like. Yeah, you know? right. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That's awesome. And then we'll, we'll briefly go over about a little bit about profiles, like what profile you've said a lot about gates. So I think we're good, but let's go just a little bit about profiles and then we'll just kind of share with everybody how they can find you and, and like what a human design coaches and all that. So what, what are, what are the profiles? What, what is that? So the profiles um, really correspond a lot with purpose and we think of it, the profiles is more of a role. Um, that you kind of take in, you know, how you express and cultivate your gifts, how you express and cultivate your purpose. Um, and so what it's something that actually changes very quickly within the human design chart. You could switch profiles within one day a couple of times. Um, so that's why when human design readers are asking for your exact birth time, it's really important that you get them as close to exact as possible because a lot of this kind of stuff changes quite rapidly. So how we think about profiles is like I said, there's, you know, you have your design, you have, sorry, your birth date, and then you're there, there's a three month beforehand date. So you have these, what we call these two lines that form a profile. 
And so you don't need to always know everything about each of the combination profile. There's 12 profiles, but it's really helpful sometimes to understand the lines that you'll see. So you'll have two of those line numbers and together they combine for the profile. So the I'll go through the kind of lines and these are also the I told you about the gates and that each gate has six lines. So you're going to look to your earth gates, your earth personality gates your the birthday gates and then also look at the earth gate on your design side your unconscious and body side and then you talk about the first the birthday birth one first and that's something that you are much more conscious and aware of versus the second line would on your unconscious side would be something other people see a little more readily in you and so an overview of these gates is we have the first line which is that of what we'd like to call the investigator and that one is actually a pretty good word to describe what it is you're the one that wants to know the ins and outs of everything you want to know the macro the micro you want to see the forest the leaves the trees the branches you know the landscape around everything you need to have that full full picture before you feel really confident about something. And the kind of shadow there is that you feel that you need to know absolutely everything before you share it, before you act on it, before you do something with it. And a lot of the times that you'll be conditioned never to act because you can never have enough information. Mm. And so that's a big one. And it's also, it's funny too, because I feel very much like an investigator a lot of the times. I think you have to have a little bit of investigation energy when you become a human design reader and expert, because you want to know everything. You need to know mm-hmm. everything a lot of mm-hmm. the times and be able to connect the dots. So there's aspects, all of these, all of your gates within your body, you know, your body graph, your your human design chart, you have gate activations in you have line activations in all of your gates. So while you might not have a profile number of one, you will likely have it somewhere else in your chart. And when you think of it in the context of that gate, you might understand, oh, that's why I really need to know the ins and outs of everything, as well as there's gates like the gate of details where you want to know all the details. You need to know all the details and have a gift at that. So the next line is the second line, which we call the hermit. And the hermit doesn't mean that you just don't want to be around people. It means that you like to take time. And I know you can understand this, Christine, since you have a second line. You want to take time, you know, alone to play with your gifts. It's really, you know, it comes with natural talent. So it's like you need that time to cultivate your natural talent and play with it and become more and more proficient at it. And so that's where the hermit comes in is like that kind of pull away from everyone else so that you have time to really play with and interact with your gifts. Yes. I, I call it staring at the walls. I mean, I'm like, I'm staring at the walls the next two days, you know, I'm pondering life, you know, and that's, that is, that is where I, I mean, like today I got some profound meaning about like what my future is and, and my business and what I'm doing and develop. I mean, I started developing a program and I was like, you know, I am reading. And so that is where I get profound meaning to things that have happened in my life. Things are currently going on in my life and what my future looks like. Yeah. And you just need that time to like really vet that out and cultivate it and, and feel into it. And it's not something that is so easy to do when you have people around you. Also in that distraction piece, like you talked about with being yeah. a best in general. Well, and the flip side too, is I know that I can't, 
I also know I can't be a hermit for too long because then I'm like, I think I'm depressed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I need to get around people, you know? Um, okay. Very cool. Okay. And then what's line three? What's the, well, so the shadow, like you just said, I just wanted to point yeah. out the shadow with the line two is being disconnected too long. Oh. It's you get way too kind of cut off. Oh and my depending, God. Yeah. So depending on what your other lines are, those might be the where you would lean into how you would reconnect with people is that you become too much of a hermit is more of the shadow. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for backing up. And yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. 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 Very cool. Okay, yeah. So, on. I mean, and exactly. And so when we get to the sixth line, we'll talk about how you kind of lean back in. And so mm-hmm. the third line is is really the experiential person. They're the tactical learner. They're the ones that need to get their hands on something or get into that, you know, get into that experience. So they're the ones that's like, no, like, I want to I want to start it, you know, you're learning a new software. It's like, I want to, you know, I just want to get in and start using it. And then I will figure it out from there. They're really, you know, they're meant for trial and error and you know, failure and success because failure is never really failure. Failure is just a learning curve to get to the point of success. And even if you fail a hundred times, you're learning every step of the way. So they come with, they come naturally with failure, you know, tolerance or, you know, even the, the love of failure because they want to fail. So they, they can then, you know, continue to fail and fail and fail and succeed um, leading to the next fail, 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 succeed. So they don't have this big failure. You naturally have this big failure um, aversion. But a lot of the shadow comes with in our cultural, you know, in our cultural or our culture and society that there's a lot of conditioning around failure. Oh, you're, you're, oh, yes. My friends, she was, she's a former Mormon and she has, she's a one three. And oh my gosh, that is her thing. Like she doesn't want to let people down, you know, she's, you know, trying so hard when she doesn't even really need to try because she's just naturally intelligent and smart at a lot of things. So, but that's so fat because that's just so fascinating. So, so they're, they, because of society culture can condition them. Exactly. And conditioning, I mean, we all get conditioned not to want to fail. Like that is something we're all conditioned against, but because their process incorporates constant levels of trial and error and just like free flowing and failure, when you told that that's the wrong way, then you're, it's against your natural kind of flow and things. And it can definitely get in the way of them really experiencing life to the fullest and jumping right in. And that's their natural way. That's their, ta- that's their gift right there. That's how they, and it's very, it's, you know, People tend to love to see that, especially if you're not a third line. They love to see people jumping in on life and learning from them from observation. Mm-hmm. So it's so important that, you know, people work, third lines work on that that level of conditioning. So they're not reacting in that kind of way. And thinking about that one, three, remember we were talking about how the shadow of the one is needing to know everything and the shadow of the two is being failure averse. So if you need to know everything and your failure averse, you can see how you can fall out of alignment really quickly, but you know, she's meant to also jump into life and know a lot of things about what she's doing. And so it's how much do you need to know before you jump in and just experience it? Yes, 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 I love, and I and would so, say he likes to experiment with a lot of things. Yeah, and 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 you know, de- especially depending on how the rest of her chart is, it you know what the kind of things that she wants to experiment with, and you know how that connects with uh, how she uses her energy and all that, all the other dynamics. So, 
really the the learning curve there is that each of these little parts, um, sometimes we think of them as in a vacuum, but they really are so interconnected. Um, So next we get to the fourth line. Um, I'm, I have a fourth line, so this is near and dear to my heart, but they're much more about intimacy and depth. And they're the friends that, you know, you can call them like the intimate friend. Of course, the traditional human design language calls them opportunist, which in our culture, it has a negative connotation, but they're really the the natural networkers in their more intimate group. So especially when it comes to things like looking for jobs or dating and things like that, a lot of the, you know, if you're a fourth line, you might start to see the pattern that like, oh, like. Sometimes I meet the best connections or the best um, get the best job leads or the best, you know, um, dating, you know, connections when I actually just talk to people closest to me. And so the like I said, the the shadow there is sometimes kind of trying to um, really, you know, think like having to, you know, potentially like feeling you need to connect with everybody um, because they're really meant for those deeper connections and also, too, it's like kind of operating like other, you know, other people and not not staying connected to their network. And that's so important that they get that kind of um, that connection. But it can also be draining um, when you're constantly looking for deep connection. Deep connection takes a lot of energy. So sometimes it's that fourth lines get into a very big depletion cycle because they're constantly need to connect and connect deeply. And they do sometimes need to take time for themselves to, you know, regardless of what the other line that they have attached to them is. And fifth lines um, are really the problem solvers. They're the big solutionists of the world. So where the fourth lines are really looking at, you know, their community, their the people closest to them and really diving, diving deep into that connection the fifth lines are much more global than that. They're much more thinking general themes. They are thinking about like the world's problems in a lot of ways. And they have this like level of wanting to save the day. Um, they want to kind of have this like level of like saving people and helping them fix things and fix their problems and things like that. And um, this is one that has a strong, what we call a projection field. So not only do you want to save the day, people look to you to save the day. They project onto you this expectation that you're going to save them. And while that's obviously not always the case, people need to save themselves in most regard. Um, So you have to deal with kind of like that dynamic. And it also comes with a level of really being able to talk to anybody, you know, really on the same level. So you can really talk to strangers quite easily as well as talk to the people closest to you quite easily. And it's, it, that dynamic doesn't really change. Whereas with a fourth line, you're going to feel that depth of connection. You can feel that concentration and it's not going to be the same as if you were talking to somebody else. Um, really the shadow when it comes to the fifth lines is that because of that needing to save the day and knowing that, you know, that's not always the case. You're not going to always be able to come in and just try to fix everything. And also you have to battle that level of expectation from other people needing you to save the day so you're not you know you have to really follow your you know strategy and what you know we didn't really talk much about authority but your own your own inner your own inner guidance system of whether this is something that you even want to take on and be really you know judicious around saying no to those things that you don't feel you need to do or don't feel called to do and don't want to do and being able to create those kind of boundaries and I think um, the next up is the sixth line, which I think we both connect here because we both have the sixth line. Mm-hmm. 
And so the sixth line is, is really kind of unique compared to the others because the first 30 years of your life, you live like a three. You're that experiential person um, bumping into life, failing, picking yourself up and continuing going on. But there's, to me at least, there's always this level of there's a reason why you bump into things. There's a reason why you have failures. There's a reason why. And it's so much connected to the rest of the periods of your life. Because after the 30 years and you've bumped into things and got some bruises and scratches and some wounds and some trauma, you come into what we call a period called being on the roof, where you're kind of taking a bit of an energetic step backwards, where you're doing a lot of more healing work. It's not that you are not interacting in life and you become a complete hermit looking down on others from your from your roof and just observing. It just means that you are now kind of taking a really energetic step back and really evaluating and healing from everything that happened in the first 30 years of your life. So I feel with six lines, a lot of it comes with a level of trauma that you need to heal from and a lot of interaction that you need to heal from. And that, you know, that period between 30 and 50 is really meant for you to take that time and understand your life and learn from it and even start sharing it. There's no rules there, even though when you're 50 plus is when you kind of take a step, you take, you come off the roof and come back and, in kind of embody that wise sage person who's had trauma, survived it, healed from it is now thriving in life and just kind of back in, you know, back in action and in the world again, um, with that same level of wisdom. So it's not, like I said, when between 30 and 50, it doesn't mean that you like are shying away from life and only observing. It just means that you are taking that time and that, you know, that observation period, you're not just observing others, you're observing yourself. It also means that you usually start to think that you don't want to be in the same levels of drama with other people that you used to. So that's another part of like stepping back. Oh, oh, wow. That's a th- yes. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. Um, and is it the line, the six line, is that called the role model? Is that what the, they call it? Yeah. That one's called the role model. And I apologize. The fifth line is called the heretic, but I hate that word. So we're going with solution. I don't even know what a heretic is, but it sounds like a hairy tick. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's really a, a like a, a bad connotation kind of word. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of skipped over some of that language, but yes, this is the role model. And it's really that like, you know, person that's you know, where does wisdom come from? It comes from experience and it comes from healing and it comes from understanding the real meaning behind what, what life is about. So you have to have those, that, that trial under fire, the first 30 years of your life for you to have something to heal from and have something to be wise about. Yeah. And so I'm a six too. So I had to bump into things and have the trauma to be able to emerge later on and, and and share my story and be a role model for others. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a huge, a huge part of it. And I think that I don't just, my advice to the, um, the other six lines out there is like, don't, you don't need to wait till you're 50 to really start sharing your story and connecting because you can start doing that while you're in a growth period. And growth is just a part of our life journey. It doesn't mean after you hit 50, you were like, Oh, I'm now perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've learned everything I need to learn. It's, it's a journey. So it's like how you feel, you know, what you're ready to share, but you're ready as like, we're talking about a role model is you're ready really to be that, level of influence and be seen but you're not necessarily doing the work to correct it in other people you're you're not there to carry other people but you're there to be that example that other people can look to like I can you know it goes to one of you know 
one of idioms of like you know you can um you teach a man to fish or you um give a man a fish he can eat for a day you teach a man a fish he can eat for life you're meant to teach the the man to fish you're not meant to keep providing that fish day to day to day you're really meant to be like this is the lesson you need to take it and you need to own it and then you need to fix yourself yes my favorite thing uh, about the um when i did your eight-week course um learning about the six two was i mean this i mean i have it underlined it says the six two embody embodied is about becoming the kind of exemplary human being you wished existed as a kid. Yeah, I thought that was a really really interesting one, and um, I'm just a little bit, you know, um, a little bit earlier in my on the roof journey, and I think that's really something that even as a four six, I relate to is like you you probably didn't have the best examples, and but you have the experience of what the bad examples were you're healing from all the wounds around them and now you know how to be that you know adult that you had wished was in your life which I think is just so yes it is and it's it's um I'm having a full circle moment right now because I just did a blog about because I've recently found well my dad died a year ago and I found this genealogy book and from like the 1800s and it listed there the enslaved people that that my family had owned and the price of them and I shut it I couldn't look at it I was just so freaked out and then I recently opened it up a couple weeks ago and kind of looking at it with a different set of eyes and and after having a conversation with someone he was like you need to embrace it and then what came together for me is that I'm breaking that ancestral you know stuff and I am uh you know becoming the role model in my family a newer, a good one, you know, um, emerging as that. And I'm changing the game with that. And that's really actually something to be super proud of. Oh, I, I absolutely agree because you're, you're now breaking this. And a lot of, a lot of it is that, you know, it's becoming aware of our ancestry so that we can then heal, you know, the, the parts of ourselves that kind of still exist there because we're acknowledging it. We're aware of it. We're accepting that it's part of our past and we're moving on um, and moving higher and becoming that example. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So what, um, so you're, are you called a human design coach? Is that the name? Is that your title? Um, I, you know, it's, I, I, sometimes I say human design coach and sometimes I say I'm a human design reader and a life coach. So it, it kind of just depends. Um, I, but I, I'm, I generally don't do coaching where I don't incorporate at least at least some human design. Um, And my and the program that I currently run is very heavily human design focused. So um, if it if it's easier to say I'm a human design coach. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what it encapsulates it. But I still I do human design readings um, still um, more just kind of an introductory to human design and, and an overview of your gifts and how you operate and all that kind of stuff as well. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. So how can uh, my listeners find you to get a reading or do some coaching? How can they find you? The easiest way to find me right now, because my website is still under construction, um, is through my Instagram at the.hdcoach. So at T-H-E period H-D-C-O-A-C-H is the best way to find me right now. Um, and that is a place where also, um, in the coming days, I'm going to be putting a, um, 
a top 10 human design do's and don'ts for better alignment where you can kind of download that and um, get on the newsletter. So that's another way to keep in contact with me. Oh, newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I can provide that link to you to put in the show notes too. Yes, I will. Yes. I'll, whatever you give me up in this, because I'm telling you right now, because this all my close friends know this is my favorite topic. Like we'll be in the middle of a conversation. I'm like, oh, it's because you're a four six, you know, because you or you know, it's you know, you're a triple split, you know, and this is so funny. But um, I just I love I love human design. I love talking about it. But I know listeners are gonna hear this and they're gonna go, what is this? You know, and be just as fascinated because it is it is just such a fascinating topic and i enjoyed our i learned so much and i still go when we did our 8 week course i learned so much and i had so many breakthroughs and i still almost open up my binder of all of our you know weeks together each week had a theme and and look at that and it has helped me figure out what I'm doing in my life. What's my path? Like, what's my purpose? What, what is, what is, what am I even called? I mean, I'm a podcaster, but I'm way more than that. And I know that I'm meant to, to help the world heal and, and try to figure out what is the title of that? Because again, I'm a manifestor generator. I do things nonlinear. And so I'm not just going to be a coach, you know? So I, I highly recommend you guys do her eight week course because it is, um, you will have so many breakthroughs, breakdowns and breakthroughs, you know, you got to have a breakdown before you can have a breakthrough. So, well, I appreciate you so much coming on my show and we're going to, we're going to do another one because there's so many more things to dive into. Um, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I would love that. Bring me back as many times as you want. Yay! All right. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you, too. Okay. Bye. Bye.